0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 161 of The Speaking Club podcast. One of the things we're talking about in this show is being more in touch with your audience. But there was one fast food company who this week demonstrated the opposite of this. On International Women's Day, Burger King put out this simple little tweet. Women should be in the kitchen. Apparently, the tweet was aimed at drawing attention to the fact that there were very few female chefs. Not only did this tweet demonstrate what irony looks like when it backfires, but it's also factually incorrect, because women are in the kitchen. They're just not getting paid for it. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, thanks for joining me again on The Speaking Club. I am thrilled to be joined on this episode by Brett hill after graduating with a degree in interpersonal communication brett ended up becoming a technology expert before bringing the two strands of technology and communication together to create a distinguished and successful career as a technical speaker and storyteller now alongside that career brett has spent many years studying and practicing mindfulness in many forms And he credits much of his professional success in the corporate world to the skills and tools he picked up from the mindfulness world he also moved in. Eventually, the desire to share the many benefits of mindfulness with others so that they could live a richer and more powerful life of intention and connection led to the work he does today. And I'm excited for you to discover some of those benefits from this interview, which we're going to switch over to right now. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Brett Hill.
1: Hi, hi, I'm really happy to be here.
0: I know, and it's we're at the opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm early in the morning, and you're super late at night, so we're yes, doing quite yes. well, both of us. <laughs> cool. Now, I'm really interested in your background. You originally took a degree in interpersonal skills, but then you switched into a technology role.
1: How did yes. that come about? Well, it came about because um, computers started to become like the personal computer. World hadn't really fully developed, and I kind of grew up as that became a real thing, and um, I've always been a kind of a tinkerer and kind of a geek, and when I was a kid, I liked to take things apart to see how they worked, and, and so whenever computers came out and started to be like a really a business, a serious business thing, I was about the only guy in the area that knew anything about them because I had studied them and I had actually got a really super early version and started to learn programming uh, really early, like a, ba- a form of basic programming. And so when uh, things started to take off, I was, well, yeah, I can help with that. And you know, I can, and pretty soon I was, um, back in the day they had computer stores that were like small versions of Best Buy, you know, like little shops. And I was managing those and fixing the computers and I wound up, wound up getting hired by one of the bigger uh, companies at the time um, and um, as their technical support manager nationwide. And then that moved in. Eventually, I, I developed even more expertise, and I got hired by Microsoft and became a technical evangelist for them for quite a few years and, um, and went on from there. So it's just kind of steamrolled. So I always had a big... Oh, life in technology. And that led to a lot of speaking and a lot of, you know, on stage and uh, developing talks for kind of big audiences and critical audiences. So I learned a lot about public speaking and, and cut my chops in a way on, uh, uh, on that, those stages. And there were many.
0: I love that term, technical evangelist. What? Tell me, what, what does that actually mean? Does that mean just well, like a, letting people know? that? how? How? What does it mean?
1: Yeah, it's a it's an odd combination of terms. And so, what it amounts to, you can imagine in in the the worst case scenario, it's like, and this computer is going to be the best thing you could ever possibly imagine. You know, it's like, so so okay, dial that back about two hundred degrees, and. It becomes something along the lines of, in this new release, you're going to find that your user productivity is going to be so much better that you're going to want to roll this out quickly to your customers. And so we have this program that's going to help you to engage a fast ramp-up rollout process. And so I might be pitching, like, some program that is around, but you attach it to the value, the benefit. And so I'm evangelizing the value of the services and at the same time trying to um, make sure that the customer understands or the audience understands um, what we're, the program that we're trying to present to them and the value of it. So you can't just come out and say, and it looks pretty, you know, you yeah, You know, or it's 10% faster, you know. Okay, yeah, that's nice, but what does it actually do for you? And so technical evangelism is a, um, they don't, you still see a lot of them around, actually, if you look for titles like that. But it's becoming more of a storyteller, like technical storytelling, and that's morphing into a thing they call like, um, you know, user, user, um, like, well, what's the word I want to say? Like user satisfaction and and those kinds of things, but a lot of technical evangelism is still around.
0: Cool, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't heard those that combination of words before.
1: Okay. Yes, it's an interesting.
0: So, an interesting so you one. set off in this technology career, yeah, and and then started to speak. But when did mindfulness first become important
1: to you, and why? Uh, actually, this all happened in parallel. I had was involved with technology because I like technology and I was seemed to have a knack for explaining technical things in a way that people could understand. And so I was got a reputation for being good with customers and being good in strategic conversations. Um, And that was because I'd had a background in interpersonal communications, which my degree was in. Mm -hmm. And I had always this whole time I had been studying Depth psychology, somatic psychology, group dynamics, meditation, mindfulness—all of this has been going on alongside my my technical career. Now they're kind of like you know different worlds, right? So you've got technology and mindfulness. There's a lot actually of overlap, but it's not a direct one-to-one correlation. At least these days, they have people at like Google and I mean other places that are actually directly involved with getting their Uh, people to be more mindful because they understand that there's an actual business value to that, Mm. um, which is another story. But the point, the point is that um, I was studying mindfulness and meditation, the practice of being learning to be present the whole time I was involved with technology. Remember I said earlier, I kind of like to know how things work and that's true about objects, but I also got really fascinated with how do people work? You know, what goes on between us? What are the mechanics of that? What really works? When someone's trying to persuade someone or something, what's really going on there? And that leads to the neurology, to the state, to the differences in power dynamics, to um, so many, so many variables. And it's just fascinating and I just love it.
0: So, was there one thing though that made you think, ah, oh, like one event or trigger that made you think, I need to find out more about this? that that started you on that
1: journey yes actually um i had in, in my younger life i had a uh, i had come into contact with some people doing meditation and that had a big impact on me but that wasn't interactive it wasn't interpersonal so i one day i i this is a funny little story or funny it's a, a true story i um was uh i had moved to boulder from hawaii and um And I was there and I got involved with this relationship and I was just crazy about this girl. And then one day she just jerked the rug up for money and I was completely blindsided. So I was, I mean, heart broke, heart shattered guy. I mean, I was devastated and I even lost my job. I was that devastated. I I was, I was non-functional and I'm like waking up going, you know, my life is trashed I need professional help <laughs> and so I I picked up the bull. now in Boulder there's like every other person you meet is a therapist it's like it's a great place to be but um, so I I found this guy and I walked in and I didn't know anything about therapists I had nothing I'd never been to one nothing and I walked in and I sat down and this guy <clears throat> I'm talking to him and I'll shows my fist here and I'm going um, well, you know, the thing is, it's like, I, I just, this, my heart was just broken. And he's going, I'm noticing that while you're talking, that my fist was actually down by my stomach. And he's going, that you're clenching, you're making this fist. And I looked at my fist and I said, well, yeah, okay, yeah. So what? You know, I'm thinking, big deal. He goes, well, what do you think that's about? Well, that was the, I thought that was the weirdest question I'd ever heard. What do you think making your fist is about? Well, I don't have a thought about it. He goes, well, what? What do you think your fist is trying to say? And I'm going, this is crazy talk. And but he kind of kept with me, and it turned out it, we through this this thing of exploring very slowly. He said, "Well, just get really present with this and slow it way down. Just slow it way down." Closing and opening. What is going on there? And what happened is we tapped into a whole ton of like anger that I had had that I was not expressing from way earlier in my life. And it was very, very odd because it was like tying together with this scenario. So I was really upset. And the reason I was so devastated was my unconscious was just latching onto this experience to just unload a bunch of emotion. And By exploring this one motion, I began, I I accessed a whole reservoir of myself, my anger, my frustration with my earlier life that I had no idea about, but it was showing up in a big way in my current life. And I just, at the end of that session, and there was just one session, and I thought, this is this is like magic. I have to know everything there is to know about this. And he said, I said, well, what is this? And he said, it's called Hakomi, H-A-K-O-M-I, Hakomi. And it's a somatic psychology. And I said, I've got to find out. Well, as it turned out, the world headquarters for Hakomi was in Boulder. And so I signed up and said, I'm going to be a somatic therapist. And I, and I started studying it that way. And one of the big tenets is they make the client get mindful. Like he says, he's saying, get present with your, this action. What's going on here? Really slow it down. Pay really close attention. And so my meditation work of like, you know, going inside and being present with my inner experience really helped me to like really quickly get in touch with, oh, I'm having sensory experience here, and I can put words to these things. And if I slow things down and really examine them, there's content there, and that content has meaning. That blew a whole world open for me, and I never looked back. And so that began my professional pursuit of mindfulness as it connects to who we are and who you are really, I mean, under the hood, right, in ways that help us become more authentic and more real. And that just applies so much to every aspect of your life, including speaking.
0: Yeah. And so what year, What year was that? How long ago were we talking about? It was about
1: the mid-80s, actually. Cool. And
0: you that's know. interesting, because I was going to ask you about the term somatic yeah. psychology, which you used. And and one thing that occurred to me as you were talking then is that we all know from the work, although sometimes it gets misinterpreted a little bit, um, around the the power of body language in communication in terms of transmitting your message. But actually what you're saying is that as an individual, we also need to pay attention to our own body language for what you know, it's trying to tell us, stuff as well. And if well, we only, whereas with you know we talk we talk about words, we I guess in some senses we focus on our mind and our thoughts.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: We we don't tap into what our body language is saying to us about ourselves, and that's quite yes. an interesting concept. In well, terms yes, of thinking about it in that
1: way. Exactly, and it goes. It's it's not only the language; it's the it's the energy or the meaning or the motivation for the language. It's kind of like, what's, why are you doing that? What does it feel like? So let me give you an example. When I teach mindfulness, one of the things that happens is um, in an early on in the classes, I'll have people like try to have a mindful conversation. And I, one of the very first things I do is I have people slow things way down. So I'll, I'll give them an exercise like, okay, so for the next five minutes, pair up with somebody, and before you speak, before either of you say anything, there's only one rule, and that's pause for a count of three. So that's the only rule I give, and everything else is like whatever, right? And so we just see how long they can pull that off. Well, it's very uncomfortable for people. They hate the exercise, but it's, that's, part of the, that's part of it, though, is to help people learn to be that uncomfortableness is part of the learning process. And so at the end of it, I'll say, so uh, So, how was that for people? And some, some person will invariably say, well, I found it very uncomfortable, and I, I found it made me very nervous. And I would, and then I'll ask an interesting question. I'll say, how do you know you were nervous? And so that starts people, well, I know because when I'm, uh, you know, I get nervous whenever these things happen to me in my life, and I'm going, okay, hold on, that's great. Now, what just happened is I asked you how you knew you were nervous, and you told me about other times in your life when you're nervous, as opposed to right now, right here. How do you know you're nervous? And so I'm trying to coach people to learn to reference their bodily sensation. I know I'm nervous because I, I, I feel tight, you know. That's a body sense, Uh, I get agitated. I feel like uh, I'm like, uh, I'm going to blow up. I want to like crawl out of my skin. All of those are somatic based terms. They're describing your in the moment experience. Now, when you learn to pay attention to that, an entire world opens up for you in the sense that you begin to learn how to notice early when you're about to be triggered, for example, or when you have a strong reaction to somebody. Um, and it's just such a rich place to live because that gives you some leverage over what you say and how you behave that you don't have otherwise.
0: That's interesting. So effectively, if I've understood you correctly, it's almost like a pattern interrupt. Like if you, cause we always, it's always like thought, emotion, behavior and then regret potentially <laughs> 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 and then but what you're saying is that if we can in the moment sort of just check in with ourselves we can interrupt that that pattern of behavior and and you know possibly doing something we might be um, you know upset about
1: later just- exactly it's exactly it and and it's critical that you are able to rehearse the neurology and it's, it really is a rehearsal process, right? You, you have to, you have to rehearse that interruption mm. so that you can't just think, Oh, I'm just going to do that next. And next time it happens, I am just going to do it because when you're under pressure, you can't, you have mm. to, it's kind of like, you're not going to just show up, pick up a guitar, show up on stage and play something worth seeing. Right. You have to practice it when you're not on stage. And so it's very similar with speaking, right? You practice your talks and, you, and you, you're upset. So this is very much the same thing. If you want, I have a phrase that I use over and over. If you want to be mindful under stress, you have to practice when you're not. Nice. It's very simple. And yeah. so you, you have a very basic mindfulness, but it doesn't take much, but a little basic one. And you get the neurology down of like, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to slow down on purpose in the moment. Then whenever something happens and you get, wait, I'm I'm seizing up here. I'm noticing I want to like bark, right? But I'm going to instead invoke this circuitry that I've developed to just breathe and think for a second, what do I really want to say here? That moment is so magical. It's so powerful because instead of just a quick reaction, like you say, which you're going to regret later, most likely, Instead, you have a chance to go, oh, okay, I'm going to respond with something at a higher cognitive level. Now, literally, we're talking about using your neurology, the higher cognitive functions of your brain, because the reactive part is just kind of like, it's a reflex, right? There's not a lot of thought that goes into, well, how dare you say that, you know? There's not a lot of thought that goes into the, the immediate reflexive answer. But you can give it a breath and then suddenly you can think, oh, you know what? I know this person I'm talking to is under a lot of stress because of something they said yesterday, maybe. And so I'm just going to take a breath and check in with them. So how are things going? Well, things are going. Yeah, it seems like maybe you're wound up. Maybe you're wound up for, you know, yeah, yeah. So then you can take the pressure off yourself, right? Because you took a breath.
0: God, it's really interesting. Another metaphor that sort of popped in my head for this is almost like diffusing a, a bomb because it's that, it, it. You know, before we explode, this is a way of like just maybe diffusing that. But I guess also the, the other big benefit of this is if we start to recognize these things in ourselves, like you said, when we're having a conversation with someone else, yes. we'll be able to notice these things in their body language exactly. and, and and also have a better conversation because of that.
1: Precisely. That's, that's the, the beauty of learning. This is it, it's transferable knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, once you see it in yourself, you recognize it in other people. And that doesn't mean you can do much about it, but at least you can not be unconscious about it. And that gives you choices. Uh, And that's what my big thing is, is like when you're more present with another person, in conversation or with a group you have choices to make that you didn't have otherwise because you're considering you there's more range and those choices are better choices than the ones you'll make on automatic yeah
0: absolutely Go. it's really interesting now I'm kind of getting it that's pretty excellent (laughs) okay so I guess in one set. I mean, we may have covered this, but just I wanted to get from you, and it may be from tapping into the experience of the people that you've helped. But in one sentence, could you describe the problem that your work solves for people?
1: Wow! In one sentence, that's really kind of challenging, and that's part of my problem with my business is it's kind of difficult. <laughs> <with some laughs> years, right? Yeah, we we have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I'm still wrestling with that that particular thing, but I would say. The bottom, the bottom line with this is, you're going to start at the end and work backwards, but that never works. At, at the end of this, you are happier, better, just more engaged and healthier. Even at the end, that's the outcome, right? So, what problems do people suffer that get them into a process, right? And a lot of it is like people want to have more connection, right? They want to feel more connected to the people in their lives and the people in their world. So that's one thing that this can definitely do for people, help people feel more connected and they want to be less reactive. They want to be better listeners and able to um, find their authentic voice. So there's, So that's not one sentence, I'm sorry to say. That's okay.
0: I I feel the marketing (laughs) No, 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 absolutely. It's interesting. So this is, I mean, this is something, it's always easy when you're outside your business to see like what other, the value of other people. So for me, it's like, if people are feeling out of control of their lives, of relationships, of conversations, of their career, this seems to me is a way for them to get, take back control, like at a high level. That's what it appears to me to be.
1: Yeah, well it's a it's a way to reclaim some authority over what goes on in your world. It doesn't mean you're gonna get control, but it is gonna give you more control because if you don't have if you're on automatic, what the heck good are you gonna do? It's like the outcomes that you have, the challenging conversations you're gonna have are not gonna go as well as they could. And so what this gives you is the ability to up level. Well, I have a a statement on my website, which is like, imagine every important conversation in your life better. Nice. What would that do for you and for the world if every conversation you ever had that mattered came out better or at least had the opportunity to come out? Now, this isn't a fantasy. It's not like because you bring more skill and mindfulness to a conversation that it's going to go well. But at least it has a better chance. Right? Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Need, right? Yeah, cool. Excellent. I guess there's some people when they first get hold of this might become slightly annoying with it as well. To other people, I'm just imagining like really, <laughs> so you could just picture but But wh- when someone's doing it well, what would that look like and sound like to others when someone's being truly present with them? What would I notice? that um in someone else when they were being truly present with me
1: well let me ask you this question how do you feel right now
0: uh so this is interesting isn't it Kazim so you're definitely focused on me yeah
1: um
0: and i can see that um so i guess focused on me um interested in what i'm saying um and it, and and ref, and almost like ref, you're reflecting back in terms of nodding and so on, that you, you're you sort of hearing me. Yes. Is that, is that yeah.
1: That's it, yes. And this is uh, at the, you know, at the surface level, right? But there's another level of thing going on here. And since you since you, you ring that bell, I'm going to say a few things to you and you tell me what it feels like. Mm-hmm. In your the way that you ask questions, I hear in your voice a real enthusiasm for life and for a curiosity, a true curiosity about how things work with people and what's important to people. There's a way you just sort of light up when you say, that's so interesting. It's not just that you're saying it's interesting, but there's a way I see you literally just light up. And that tells me something important about you.
0: Yeah, no, I am very curious. (laughs) I am. And uh, yeah, I find people fascinating. You're right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons you're in the business that you're in. So let me ask you now, what's it like for you to hear me say that to you?
0: Yeah, that is it. Is interesting because I haven't paid attention in the same way to you when you're talking as you've obviously paid to me. I listen yeah. And and I can, you know, I maybe subconsciously have some some uh, some knowledge of, of that, but not consciously. So that's really interesting. So I can immediately see you're listening at a different level to, to me, you're paying attention at a different level to me.
1: Yes, well, that's what I teach, right? I yeah. te- I teach people how to get this bigger picture from other people and communicate to people. With that in mind, and so the whole time I'm talking to you, I'm in in relationship in rapport with that part of you that's excited that's enthusiastic but that's the part that you're presenting and so it's like easy to connect with you you make it easy and you you flow easily and you're you're very gracious and and you make a lot of space for other people and so it's easy to uh, have a nice rapport and easy flow with you and that's very nice and so I, that's something that I notice and when I notice that. It makes me just kind of chill and like, okay, I don't have to manage this conversation, and I probably wouldn't anyway, but uh, I can just hang out with you because you're a ton of fun. And, like, who wouldn't want to hang out with somebody who's a ton of fun? And so it's kind of like that makes it super easy, right? And mm-hmm. so that's that's just the way that I roll. And and, and, uh, um, and it's true. I do have a kind of a big... Mm, a seasoned repertoire of um, a database to kind of like, oh, this is like this, and it's like this when I talk to people. But I try my best to see you for who you are uniquely and personally and not the rest of people that you might remind me. Like, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other story. But, um, uh,
0: so so let's, let's quickly explore that since you mentioned it. <laughs> so, so what do you mean by... Um, So, are you saying essentially? I might misread this. That that with some of these techniques, you you, there are patterns in human beings generally that you can pick up on. But you are actually trying to focus on me as an individual person, as a unique individual.
1: Right. I mean, there's, a, we are, our brains are pattern-making machines, right? And so when someone walks in the room, when a, when a big guy walks in the room, all blustery and cowboy-like, right? Well, I'll tell you how it's going to be. We're going to sit down. We're going to get this done. And I could do that authentically because I was born and raised in Oklahoma, which is the Midwest of the United States. So we're going to get her done down here, I'm telling you. And we're, right, you know, so... There's a whole laundry list of things you check out. Well, this is guy's like this, he's like this, he's like this, like this, right? And those may be true, but they may not. And so part of the practice of mindfulness is is there's three things in the definition of mindfulness by John Cabbage Zinn, which is paying attention on purpose, in the moment, and non-judgmentally. Last part being the hardest, actually. And so I want to notice in myself when that happens, okay, I've got this laundry list of things I'm checking off that I imagine this guy might be like, but if I notice that, then I can press pause on judging him in those ways until I have more information. And that way I can see through my biases and my preconceived notions to, at least to, to more of a degree than I than I can if I don't do that. If I just label him and say this is the way he is, and then he actually is showing up really differently, it's really hard to overcome those those initial biases. It's really hard, and so it's a it's a it's a practice to notice your biases and suspend them.
0: Absolutely, this is really interesting because well, I've said it again. There, you're going to pick up on that. Um, <laughs> so this could really unlock the door to us letting go of those stereotypes and prejudice uh, and all of that stuff that we, that baggage that we don't even know that we have, that exactly. we, we react to people because we're looking at them through the lens of all that baggage. So this could uh, could help a lot in terms of that side of things as well.
1: Well, you've heard uh, going around these days is the notion of confirmation bias. If you may mm-hmm. have heard that term. And it's like, you know, you, you want to make the world like what you already know. Yes. That's just the way the brain works. And it's not, it's not like people are bad for doing that. That's just the way it works, you know. And so knowing that about ourselves, how do you then engage with people? Well, there's an intelligent way to approach that, which is not to just believe everything you think. Strangely enough. And so one of the big learnings I had to have was a lot of my assumptions about people are wrong. And so I better have some deep respect for what I don't know.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's excellent. And, and, and how, have you got any examples of where you've had to, you've made, I guess you talked about the, the homey in person, but like a real life example where the, it, you stopped and it completely changed the conversation you were having with someone because you recognized that your mind was taking you down those that route of assumptions and stereotypes.
1: Yes. I um I'll give you an example from uh I was in a training for this series of workshops called Loving Presence. And um there was this really big guy from Germany. I mean, this guy was like, you know, football but you know back size he was a big guy and so he sits down and he starts and and he has a, this sort of abbreviated way that he speaks and um I didn't know much about him and then we had to do this exercise where I, so I had these ideas about him like being sort of a gruff sort of character right and um and i it's not like I didn't take him seriously, but I, I kind of like said, well, you know, probably not that interesting to engage and, and that kind of thing. Well, then we did this exercise and a, this very unusual thing happened in this exercise because he got up and part of this exercise was a nonverbal thing where you got up and you just grabbed an object and you move it across the room and everybody watches and see what you can learn about somebody from just doing something as simple as that. And what I noticed was this guy was extremely careful about how he moved and I thought, no, well, what the heck is, because you could just see it in his body language. It was very odd because it was, it was very precise. And you could tell he had this like big sense about where he was in space. And this is a big man, right? And so I'm going, oh, oh. And a light bulb went off in my head and said, oh my God, of course. Here's a really big person walking through the world. And he knows what it's like to knock things over that he didn't mean to knock over and to bump into people that he'd never meant to bump and have it matter because he's such a big guy. And so his, he's developed this extreme sensitivity about his, how he carries himself. And it just kind of hit me in a wave and I'm going, that's the world that he inhabits. And so when he sat back down, I said, you know, I have this feeling like, you know what it's like to be like a bull in a China shop. And he just broke down when he heard those words and I felt like oh my god you know I I felt like I really connected to something in him that was real and uh because I for some reason I just saw that right then and I was able to name it so I but I had to see it with my eyes and and stop and go no this guy isn't like some gruff character at all he's the complete opposite of that
0: Gosh, that's really interesting. That's it is just taking things to a completely different level. Excellent. I'm really fascinated by it.
1: (laughs) So, I really like that you're so interested.
0: Oh no, I love this stuff. It is. I think because if we can understand each other better, if we can look past our past, then it opens up the world to, you know, not to be sort of all woo but it, it will make people, you know, we'll have so many. I would imagine that if we had access to this sort of stuff, then we'd have a lot less arguments, a lot
1: less, you know. Well, we would have arguments about different things, you know. Yeah. We, we'd still have arguments, but they'd be about something more substantial, I think, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But we just, we would avoid a lot of uh holes that we can dig ourselves in because we don't pay attention to this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I wanted to ask about next was, and I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be yes, but is there a correlation between using language intentionally and mindfulness?
1: Oh, yes, you're right. The answer is yes. One of the key things that I'm a big advocate for is more conscious use of your words. And so you learn to be more conscious about the exact words that you're using and how you're using them because you're you're paying attention to the impact of your words. And so when you start to notice those things, you begin to realize what you say really matters. And so, yes, uh, there is a definite... It's hard to not be thoughtful about your words when you're being mindful mm. because you're being conscious. You're being conscious of what I'm, what am I speaking? How does it feel in me to speak these words? What's it look like? It feels like in these other people, right?
0: Yeah.
1: If, if I'm being mindful, I can say, Oh, when I said that everybody kind of started like, then they started shuffling papers and going, Oh, oh, oh. you can see people go like, Oh, what's going on? You know, you notice, right. and, and you go, oh, wait, what did I just say? Right. Whereas if you're not being mindful, you just keep rolling and you don't even notice.
0: That's really interesting. And, and there's almost a, it's certainly a segue back into speaking. it. So when I do stand-up comedy, one of the things that I do all the time is read the audience exactly. in terms of how is that joke landing? Did that one work? You know, You know, just you're constantly looking for feedback from them as to how you're doing and the same with speaking to an extent and mm-hmm. is this this why this is important in speaking one aspect of it for you
1: absolutely yes absolutely is reading the audience so that so that that's an area where you've got some skill right where you've you're able to go how does this joke land is are they warm are they cold and you're tracking this in psychotherapy uh, they call it tracking i'm tracking how is the audience responding to me um, to, to my cadence, to my presentation, to the jokes are they landing. And so you've got a particular outcome that you're after and you're, and you're monitoring for that. And that's, that's, that causes you to be more alert in a, in a very refined way. That's a good thing. And so, that yeah, when you're speaking, you want to be the same thing. You want to be on stage. You want to know how's the room, what's the temperature of the room, and, and is it warm, is it cold, are they interested, not interested, am I warming it up? You know, mm-hmm. is there, am I building here? Is there, how are people? And noticing those things can really make the difference between someone who's giving in an embodied presentation to where, you're, or just a recitation.
0: Mm. And I think this is really interesting because one of the issues that I come across often with people who speak um, and what stops them, slows them down and gets in their way is what I call an about me Mindset. And one of my big things is taking people from an about me mindset into what I call a message led mindset. And mm-hmm. I think by the very fact that you are using the tools that you're talking about to focus on your audience, we have to be careful here. It's something I just want to mention in a little bit around this. But by doing that, you're taking the spotlight off of you. Because once we get in our heads about us, that's when we start second guessing ourselves. That's when we start having imposter syndrome, and you know, you know, and and losing confidence. So I love that as a as a way of staying connected to your audience, and also therefore disconnected to that that critic in you that will stop you from sometimes even starting off, but on stage can take the rug out from under you.
1: Well, right, and I think you said it very well in the sense that if I'm on stage trying to differentiate myself from the audience, like, well, I'm this and I've got this, and and here, look at my world, you're just preening, you're just showing off, you know, and do you want them to adore you or do you want them to like you, right? And if you want to recreate relationship, you you have to extend your personal world to them, so rather than creating these differentiations, you want to build on our commonness. Nice. We're all in this together in some way or another. I'm going to connect to something in the audience that's true for them. I'm just going to start with that. Like we're all here. Like sometimes I'll start my talks with like, of all the things you could do, could have done today, you chose to come here. That's great. Okay, so we're here. We are all this room together. Right? So what are we going to do? You know, here we are. Like, What's this about? It's you and me in this room together. Let's, let's explore this moment. And we all, and it, we all want something. We all want a better life. We all want a better world. We all want to be happy. We all want to be loved. We all want to be cared for. And I always have in my heart that that's the common ground between every me and every person I speak with. And so when you're talking to somebody and that's what's true for you, it infuses anything I can talk technical and that'll still come through because I care that the technology works for them because I care about them.
0: That's true. I love that. So it's like, it's about building bridges to your audience to connect you together. And one of the things that I find I've seen a lot of people do this and it's And it's really, it's not from a bad place, but this is a big mistake that I see. They will cut one guy. I remember seeing a presentation and the guy, I think he only had maybe 25 minutes and he spent maybe 15 minutes talking about his awards, his achievement, like right out of the gate. And I'm like that apart from no one's interested to be fair because you before you yeah. start sharing about you, you have to make them care <laughs> who you are. Right. But just like you're then creating distance between you and your audience, yes, just you taking the insight that you've given me because you're put you know, you're making the gap between you yeah. much wider. Yeah, than you're like, well
1: I I'm not that's not my world. Okay, so you know something, but you know, it's not meaningful to be me what you know because you can't stop talking about yourself long enough <laughs> to find anything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. one of the things that I wanted to just check in with you, I mentioned that there's a, a an, an issue in terms of reading the audience. One of the things that I have seen people do, which I think is a is necessarily is not a good thing in in relation to reading an audience, is making an assumption about what someone is thinking. And letting that mean something About what they think about your presentation So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agree with this So people in an audience can have All sorts of stuff going on in their own world
1: Oh yeah, yeah It
0: doesn't mean anything about you on stage
1: So you have to be careful Well it never means anything about you on stage That's the the key thing It's like once you get really mm, Develop a sense of yourself through, And a mindfulness practice can really help you with this You realize that let me just put it like this. If you're a good speaker and you care about people and you've, you you're, you're in service to your mission and you're, you're, you know, I'm just going to say you're inhabiting a good place inside. Then it doesn't matter if somebody else believes that you're that or not. Right. You can work on the craft of being able to communicate that. But if someone doesn't believe they think, well, I think you're a liar. I think you're just a sham. Well, Okay, I'm sorry. What am I doing to communicate that to you? Because that's not the way I want to come across. But you're not going to bend over backwards to change who you are to satisfy that person because that's in their judgment, is in their world. Now, if out of 100 people, 72 of them came up to you and said, I think you're a sham, well, you've got a problem. You've got a, a delivery problem, right? So you need to figure out what's the disconnect between the way I feel and the way I present. There's a gap there. That's a really fascinating study. Mm. However, if you're coming across authentically and people say, oh, I just love the way you come across so real and authentic, then that's the only feedback you need. And you get enough of that, then you realize there's always going to be an outlier and you don't take them to heart, except for what could maybe that person tell me about something I need to to improve. Great. That's
0: great stuff. Excellent. So... We've talked about the fact that you need to be practicing these tools in order to access them when you need them. So how would you suggest that people go about practicing mindfulness in relation to their day-to-day experiences? How should they start off?
1: Well, there's two – that's a long conversation. Let's (laughs) do it – see if I can do it in one sentence. Uh, (laughs) There's the traditional meditation process, right? So there's a bazillion meditations on the web to find out. You don't, and you can find a short one. You don't have to do much, but really, it's just. Hopefully, if you can, you just close your eyes, clear a space, get, take a few breaths, and just pay attention to what the heck is going on inside you. That's all that it is. Well, I'm oh, I'm thinking about tomorrow. Okay. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna pay attention to something real in the moment. Remember how I talked about the hand and the hand is like, the, the reason that matters is because the body is always in the moment. Now that is one of those things you can write on your wall and underscore because it's super important. When Let's say you're on stage and you, you're freaking, right? The body is always in the moment. You can connect to your breath, take a breath, pause, connect. Get grounded, get real, get centered, find your ground, and speak again. Right? Because the body is always in there. It's not going to be. Oh, I said this. They're going to be freaking out. I'm not going to. The body is always in the most. So you can learn to connect to your body as a ground for center. So once you do that, you ground. You learn this practice of just grounding. That's where you find your breath and your 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 ability to go. No, I'm not going to react. I'm gonna take a breath and clear the space. So there's this basic mindfulness meditation where you learn to pay attention to your experience in the moment. And then you begin to learn to name these experiences without judging, oh, I'm thinking about tomorrow. Oh, I'm obsessing about what I'd said. I shouldn't have said, okay, I'm just obsessing. Oh, I'm thinking I, I'm terrible at this. Okay, I'm just thinking I'm terrible. You just let them go. You don't try to make it right or wrong. That's not the practice. The practice is just to notice. It's so simple. So you do that, strangely enough, that little bitty exercise has the power to change your life. And if you do it just a few minutes routinely enough, it'll change you. And in really dramatic ways. Strangely enough, it's it's over, it's outsized the impact of it. Now, some people, they just can't sit still. They just they go inside, and it's just like <laughs> Oh my God! There's like a symphony in my hand and 2003, and there's commercials, and or they get really nervous. It's like and I don't, they don't feel safe. All that's legitimate. It's all perfectly just part of our human world. For those people, I have another practice that is just as good, and I find it a lot more um, delicious. And it's really as simple as this. Uh, Notice what lights you up. What are the things in your world that light you up? Maybe it's a sky, a cloud, a flower, a pet, a joke, a music, anything. It doesn't matter. A design, a picture. And the thing is just to notice when you light up automatically without thinking about it. Right? Yeah. I, I We have a couple of dogs. I love my dogs. I see the dogs. Oh, the dogs are so great. I just, I light up. Now, when that happens, the mindfulness practice is to notice that's happening and hang out in that moment for an extra couple of seconds. Not a big deal. Just like, I'm a big fan of the sky. So I go outside and look at the sky. Ah, so beautiful. Oh, I'm feeling this beautiful sky. I'm looking at the sky. I'm feeling what it's like for me to see a beautiful sky. And guess what? It's one like, wow, that is so great. It's not cognitive. I don't, well, it's 43,000 shades of blue. And it's like, I think the oxygen composite, it's not an intellectual process. It's so, wow, it's a somatic experience. And you land in that somatic experience and you intentionally hang out there for just a beat of two or three seconds. So you add these moments to your day and pretty soon your day is full of bitter moments then when you are on stage and you see somebody smiling at you that's one of those moments and you go oh wow that feels good and you what does it feel like and you let that inform let that goodness inform the way you speak and also, uh, and so this, that's just a very basic exercise, but it's extremely powerful. So we have one for people who can meditate and one for people who can't. And then you can do both if you can meditate. And then you're on a fast path to uh, adding more mindfulness to your day. That, and, and this will then lead you to noticing when other people light up. You remember I noticed when I commented on you. I said you light yes. up when you do it. It's because of that practice. It's something I look for. Specifically, in people. Cool.
0: Thank you, Brett. That's great. Really, really useful. And so, what, let's turn back to speaking now. Before we 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 sort of um, wind things up with the the sound of questions. How do you use speaking in your business today?
1: Speaking. Well, I speak about mindfulness to anybody that'll listen, and I haven't done so much technical talking lately. Um, but I, you know, as 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 much as last year, I was doing some talks on technology and that kind of thing. So the way I always use it is a wise man once said to me, things, the beginnings of things are never where you think they are, right? So a talk doesn't begin when you walk on stage. You, you wake up in the morning, you have a certain experience, you, you get agitated, or you have a great morning, you know, all those things impact the you that shows up. And so there's a part of me that I'm tracking the whole time, like, what kind of a state am I in? Am I if I when I walk up on stage I become very very aware of the way it looks because it's a really different experience isn't it I mean there's really nothing quite like walking up in front of an audience it's a totally new thing and every time I do that it's like whoa this is really interesting and fun and and then there's a moment where I I want to settle into like there's a way I feel like I, I consciously say to myself, we're all in this together. You know, we all want the same thing. Because I know that they're on my side. They want me to be good, right? They want me to connect and to be, not as my job isn't necessarily to be entertaining, but to to make good use of their time. It's just like, well, why are you here? Well, you, this is the, you chose to be here. You only have one life and here you are. So I'm going to meet you. In this moment. So I, I have that I'm here for you sort of thing. I'm here with you, not for you, but with you, um, as a shift that I do in my head. It's almost like I invite everybody into my kitchen.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. And like
1: we're all just hanging out in my kitchen. We're going to talk for a while.
0: Yeah, and that, and it is very important to, you know, whilst there are things that you need to do around performance and energy and you know, you you know, there to deliver a message, but you have to look at it. I think as a conversation, and um, because it's you know, I th- always think speaking with an audience is like a is like a dance. You know, you can't do it without yes. each other. you have to be with each other to to get the best out of it. Exactly yes. like you said.
1: Yes, cool. and when you're dancing, you want to be responsive to your partner. They're they're going faster than you, so are you going to slow or speed? Or are you going to match or meet? You know one of the some of the work i did was uh, contact improvisation for a while which is a fabulous way to uh, to learn to be in the moment with somebody and speaking is very similar oh i'm
0: just you just you've sparked my curiosity again there so i i i've done improv i know about improv what's contact improv
1: contact improvisation is a is a form of um, well, it's hard for me to describe um, you get together with somebody and you connect, you have two people and they always are in contact one part of their body with the other. And then you move. And You never know what they're going to do. And you never know what you're, what they're going to do. And the only, the only thing you're going to do is just stay some, some part of your body in contact with them. And there's no music. It's not, it's not choreographed. So look it up on the web. Amazing, amazing stuff. Um, Uh, Nancy Stark Smith is one of the she passed recently but she was one of the people I studied with incredible stuff and it's so amazing to watch cuz you see these people do these amazing moves and they get get on the ground and they roll over each other and then they suddenly they're up on your shoulder and they're they're and it's you just never know what's going to happen but the, I loved it because it was so in the moment
0: that would put me right out of my comfort zone. So I'm talking about people being outside their comfort zone. That would push me. You should
1: try it. It's all over the world. It's an international thing. Cool.
0: Excellent. Well, I will definitely, um, I, I like to be on the edge of my comfort zone, so I may well give it You should
1: try it. You should try it. You would love it.
0: Okay, cool. I would take that on board. 2021, later when things when people are comfortable <laughs> touching each
1: other again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, there isn't a lot of contact improvisation right now, but uh, this, <laughs> starting in September, it probably start again.
0: Cool. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think we've had so much uh, value and um, things that people can take into their speaking. And I want to give people the opportunity to find out where to get more from you in a little bit. But first, I have some standard questions that I'd like to ask you. Sure. Sure. Um, so I guess the first one, and we may have covered it a little bit, is what's the best thing that speaking has done for you?
1: Well, I think speaking has really shown me that I have something to say that matters. And and it really does matter. And, uh, it's, and that is really deeply rewarding to me.
0: Cool.
1: Excellent.
0: Um have you had a bad speaking gig? Is there one that you're like, oh my goodness, I never want to go through that again?
1: Yes. Well, when you do technical talks, your life lives and dies by the technical demo. And so I have had more than one go awry because of technical demos that don't work. And it's kind of outside of my my capability to do that. But the thing is, there is no better way to learn how to salvage a talk than when the thing you came to show doesn't, doesn't show. Right. And so you get, you, you learn by failing how to do that. And eventually I developed some techniques around how to ensure my demos never fail. And uh, that was a big lesson. But, uh, but the point. Are you going to share those, Brett? Well, I don't know if we can in the time we have, but, (laughs) but I'll tell you, it really, in a nutshell, there was one demo I had to do that re- I was demoing a product that was like very, had a whole lot of typing you had to do. So I, behind the scenes, I automated the whole typing thing. And the, and so I was typing, so these big, long, technical, like they were called, in, the, in technical, they were SQL queries, which is a language. So I'm typing this computer code in the demo, right? And so, but I had the whole thing hooked up with these keystrokes and I even had it so that, the spaces between the words were like changing. So it looked like I was actually typing and not just and there were errors in it and go back and do it so it looked completely human right and this is because I, I i had a little side career for a little while as a magician right so a little sleight of hand and so i'm standing there at the keyboard and i'm talking and i hit this macro and while i'm talking suddenly this perfect computer code starts to come out and it looks just like i'm talking and correcting the code in real time and i did like eight of those and i got a, a nine out of ten on my score at a very prestigious technical conference the guys who were like the keynote speakers they're going who is this they see the the list because the the, the the reviews come in and they see the top 10 and it's very big deal to make the top 10 and uh, I was like the fifth one and they're going who is this Brett guy where did he come from <laughs> they were completely I, I'd never had to do that and they never happened again because I never got that talk in. but yeah so so I faked my way through that demo completely and it was completely believable the audience bought it completely it was totally fun
0: There you go. There's there's a great example of being prepped to make sure that you're doing the best job for you and your audience. I love that. Well done. (laughs) Cool. Um, What's the one book that you've read that's had the most impact on your life and why?
1: Oh, well, I'm going to get a little woo-woo here and I think I would say... um, Oh... um, I'd say in the last few years it would be Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Um, I think he. I read the book the first time and I thought, well, this is like superficial. But what I then I got the the audio tape and I could hear in his voice the the. Mm the depth and the presence that doesn't come across in the words on a page. And so when that happened to me, I, I plugged into what he was saying and it's like a lot of it was stuff I was familiar with, but it just rewired me in, in a deeper way to the key core question, which is really about, am I present now as really the most fundamental, most powerful pursuit that a human can engage and then you know we're kind of getting down in there, but that's what I truly believe.
0: Yeah, I, I I love that book, and it's something I've struggled with. My whole my whole TED TEDx talk was around sort of authenticity and being mindful. It was a journey that I went on, and and I still struggle with it because it's so easy to get in our heads and looking at the past and the future. It's it, but you know recognizing the my biggest takeaway from that book was was that the pain in our lives come from looking at
1: the past and the future.
0: And if this. we're truly in the moment, we are pain-free. Pain and that was my biggest takeaway from that book. Right.
1: And isn't that so true, like, particularly in speaking, you know, you're on stage and you're thinking, they're going to hate me. Well, that's like in the future, right? Or uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't didn't get this right before and I'm not going to get it right now. Well, that's in the past, just be the person you know to be connect with the truth of who you are to the truth of who they are and speak. And it's going to go at least not terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That That's absolutely true. Uh, cool. Okay. Um, what's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why?
1: Hmm. Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, it's like, just, you know, you make a mistake, so what? You just go on. You just get the bigger picture. You've got a career to your audience. You've got a career going here. You know, one gig doesn't determine your your fate, a, a good one or a bad one, right? So don't sweat the small stuff. Don't let the little, little stuff derail you. Get connected to the dynamic core of who you are and that that's it that will just take you far and take you true it'd be like your north star right so you don't let the the tides sweep you off your course because you're and become immovable once you connect to the truth of who you are
0: yeah absolutely i love that and i think one other thing just to add on top of that i uh, see what you think about this is if you can connect to the core of who you are and the mission. Yes, that you have your yes, pur- yes. like your purpose and that's why I think it's really important people do try and understand you know at a at a higher level what am I trying to achieve with mm-hmm. my product idea service what change do I want to see in the world yes. and if you can identify that not only does it help you keep message focused but it also starts to attract people into your world at the identity and values level. So that I think that's for me is, is a great add-on
1: to that to what you said. Lovely. Lovely.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And lastly, then, um, if you could have one mentor, and they could be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who oh, would you wow. choose and why?
1: Oh, my gosh. Hmm. Mm. One mentor. Hmm. Boy, that is a really good question. It might be Carl Sagan. Strangely enough, he's what comes to mind. So I'm just going to go with it because I'm an intuitive kind of guy. So, um, Carl Sagan, was a very visionary man and he had some extremely forward forward thinking concepts and ideas that are in some of his books, uh, that are not kind of in the general knowledge. And, and, um, and so I'm, I love science, I love scientists, but more than that, connection to the mystery of the world, the mystery of the universe, and finding a voice with which to communicate that in a big, big way, which he did, is, uh, is like I'm bowing at the feet of the master there, right? Because he made a big impact and um, he had a big message. So that's, there's a lot to learn there.
0: I think I've got this right. I think Carl Sagan is um, from one of his books. The the thing with us humans and stories is that what separates us from the animals is that we are able to imagine something Mm. happening to someone else that we don't know um, and relate it back (laughs) to our world. And that's one of the reasons why stories are so powerful. And that's an insight I think I got from him, Mm. if I've
1: got it right. Mm. it's a it's a very beautiful um thought because it's like that is a really advanced cognitive function right to imagine something happening bad to something there's an earthquake in china or in japan and it's like well it's not happening in my world but we need to do something and realizing that we're all we all have a little piece of every human in us you know it's a very buddhist thing to say but it's true That's not a
0: bad thing. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Mm. Excellent. Okay. Brett, thank you so much for being so generous and open and sharing all of these wonderful things. And I think there's so much that we can take from what you've said that will give us a better quality of life and also really help us to become more powerful speakers and more compelling speakers. So thank you very much for sharing that. Now, Mm. if people want to find out more about you, and your work, and perhaps even do some work with you, where's the best place for them to go?
1: I have a website called the language of mindfulness. It's not the language, it's languageofmindfulness.com. And uh, it actually does come up on Google if you type in language of mindfulness. And so languageofmindfulness.com is where I have a blog and I have a podcast also by the same name, which you can search on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find where I'm Riffing on all these concepts and uh, do some interviews with some interesting folks, uh, so check that out as well. Cool.
0: And so go language, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. So languageofmindfulness.com, mm-hmm. and um, do you have courses and things that people can do with you?
1: I don't have a course online at the moment, but I will. Um, I, I also have for those of your listeners that are interested in a TEDx talk. I would like to let them know I have a paper on how to apply to TEDx's, because I did a bunch of that and I wrote down some processes. So um, I have a, a, uh, it'll help you if you're interested in getting landing a TEDx talk. And so it's at languageofmindfulness.com slash TEDx101. So it's TEDx101 and I wrote it specifically for speakers so that they can get a leg up on the process of applying to TEDx's. Yeah,
0: there is definitely an art to that. And a bit of
1: science as well. Yeah, there is. And then there's just the workflow, you know, what do you need? Oh, well, I need a one-minute video, a two-minute video, and a three-minute video. (laughs) Yeah. Well, who knew that when you started out, right?
0: So that will save people a lot of time, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Brilliant, Brett. Thank you so, so much. Really appreciate your time and your generosity. And best of luck with everything that you're doing. Um, And thank you
1: for coming on the show today. Oh, my privilege. So thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Thank
0: you. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that. I don't know if you noticed, but a couple of times Brett asked me how I felt and i completely didn't answer the question which was a surprise and i talked to him about be him being interested and so on but i never got in touch with physically with how brett was making me feel and you know, i i sort of got that from you know listening back to the interview so it's certainly something i feel i need to work on i've done a lot of work on being present to my thoughts and beliefs but i've not been paying attention to how these are showing up in my body do go and check out languageofmindfulness.com and Brett's podcast if you want to go deeper on this stuff with him. It's certainly something, as I say, I'm going to be working on to improve my life and the quality of my connection with people. And talking of connection with people, before I head off, I just wanted to tell you about my standout pitching boot camp. Over two weeks, you can work with me live to build the clarity and connection into your message and you'll leave with a pitch that you're excited to share. And the feedback so far has been great. So if you're struggling to get to the heart of the problem you solve and the value that you offer to your tribe and you want to sort this so that you can share your message with confidence, then do go and check it out at storyledmarketingcom slash pitching. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, then do leave a rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. And if you screenshot your review and message me with it on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn, then I'll send you an e-copy of my book, Cracking Speech Mate, for free. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back next week and I'm going to be talking about rocking job interviews and job presentations. And in the meantime, don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye bye. If you want to be more memorable and engaging when you talk, then you need to share more stories. Stories can help you better connect with your audience and their problems and get them leaning in more powerfully than anything else. And short, snackable stories are great to use in pitches, Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle. And that struggle can slow you down or stop you in your tracks. But that's where my free snackable story challenge comes in. Over the course of just five days, I'm going to give you resources, training and coaching to help you find your authentic personal stories to share and build your skills and confidence in sharing them. Not only that, but the challenge will guide you towards a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. The next challenge is starting soon, so to grab your space, go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.